Man, Jesus is really asking a lot of us. Isn't that hard? Did you read that? Holy smoke. In a few chapters, we're going to hear Jesus talk about the cost of discipleship. Luke 14 is challenging. He's going to say, hey, before you follow me, count the cost. That passage is going to say things like, We'll have to work through what it means to hate our father and mother as we, as we follow Jesus. As, as we leave our stuff, that we have to renounce all that we have to follow Jesus. Jesus will encourage us to count the cost before we begin following him, before we begin being his disciples. And I'll enjoy teaching through Luke 14. Let's see, at the pace we're on, Luke 14 will be 2025, something like that. It'll be... Bow, bow like that. Um, we're going to take a break from Luke and go wrap up David's life here in the fall. But, uh, but I like the leisurely pace. And I'll, I'll enjoy preaching through Luke 14, and it'll have its challenges. But our passage today is the philosophical foundation that that is going to be built on. And I think it's harder than saying you have to hate father and mother and renounce all you have. In fact, I think we'll get there and go, oh, when we really see what he means, this is, yeah, we're, we're all in. That's fine. This right here is hard. In fact, if we can digest and live out what Jesus teach, is teaching us in Luke 6, we'll get to look for Luke 14 and go, no, dur, yeah, obviously. The fact that we are easily challenged by the call to renounce stuff, but can frequently read, love your enemy, and just kind of go, mm, yeah, and put it aside. Says something profound, something dangerous. I think it's that this is an almost, this is such a big truth, such a, such a foundational truth for all of our lives that it's almost so big we have a hard time processing it. But today, let's pretend that we're hearing this for the first time. Let's pretend we're sitting there at, the, at Jesus' feet, and let's not let ourselves off the hook. But rather, let's say, if I need to be offended by the Word of God, man, I've been offended by so many things this week. If I need to be offended by the Word of God, that would be the best. Let's process what it means. So today we're going to look at kind of this in three sections. We'll look at the timeless instruction that Jesus has for us. This first couple verses is just this works in all time and space. And then we'll look and see how he, how he approached it in, with some first century applications. And then we'll, we'll end looking at the eternal consequences. So, you know, but before I do that, that's a pretty heavy-handed introduction. Let me let us all off the hook. You don't have to do any of this. I'm serious. God's not going to make you do anything. Isn't that amazing? If I was God, I'd make you do all kinds of things. But Jesus starts off this section by saying, but I say to you who hear. This is such a common thing in the, in the Gospels. Hey, if you have ears to hear, then this is for you. If you don't have ears to hear, enjoy your day. 
This is not instruction to fight over. This is not instruction. I guess it's instruction to be offended by because it really makes it where I'm not the most important thing in the universe, and that's how I naturally feel. But this is not something to to say, oh, so God's making me do this? No. God's inviting you to a different way of living. You don't have to follow Jesus. There's no need to argue with this teaching. There's no need to feel accused or told off. Remember, this is the king telling his subjects what it's like to be in the kingdom. That's what's going on in this sermon. The king of the kingdom of God is saying, this is what it's like in my kingdom. And one of the weirdest truths of our faith, but it's consistent through the whole scripture, is that you don't have to be in the kingdom of God. If you would like to live as your own king, you are more than welcome. If you would like somebody that's not Jesus to be your king, knock yourself out. God gave us that decision-making ability. But here's the thing. You don't get to live outside the kingdom and experience the blessings of the kingdom at the same time. So count the cost this morning. You're going to have to love the people that irritate you the most. You're going to have to not, not say, I don't have any enemies. You're going to have to be able to define people that hate you and curse you and respond in their lives with blessing and doing good. And that's hard. And it doesn't feel right. So count the cost. Because there is peace and joy available. There's a path that you could live where you don't have to fear the grave. But there's a cost. Better yet, more than thinking of it like a cost, we might think of it like a path. There's a road, a journey, a path offered to you, but it's narrow. And for a while, difficult. So if you don't have ears to hear, you know, enjoy a nap. It's been a long week. Go ahead. It's fine. I, in fact, in general, if you need a nap on Sunday morning, you go right ahead. It's fine. I hear I have a very soothing voice. <laughs> but if you don't want to live according to Jesus' teachings, nobody's making you, but you, you are being offered a different way to live, a way that not very many people are living, a way that is not about your power, but is about Jesus' power, a way that sometimes doesn't have a lot of, of uh, earthly external benefits and yet has profound eternal consequences and this is offered to you you could live as a citizen of the kingdom of god but let yourself off the hook today and say if today was the first day i was choosing jesus and i was counting the cost of what it would take to be his disciple is this a good deal would i follow him so count the cost i implore you Learn to love your enemy, not because Jesus is making you. Especially if you grew up in the church, right? I didn't have a choice to be a Christian when I was eight years old. Like, I was, I don't want to say forced on me. I would say I was lovingly guided by wonderful parents who are sitting right over there um, to, to, uh, to, to learn to love the Lord. But either way, I did not wake up when I was eight years old and go, I wonder which of these world religions has the most, you know? <laughs> That's a, that was not offered to me. So pretend it's offered to you right now. This is what Jesus is offering, and this is the cost. 
Learn to love your enemy, not because he's making you, but learn to love your enemy because you have said yes to this path that your king has laid out and that when he talks, you are all ears. That when he says, hey, if you have ears to hear, you go, that's me. I'm all ears, Jesus. So if you have ears, listen up. But I say to you who hear, love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. One of the things I love about this is it's a recognition of a broken world. You are going to have enemies. You are going to have those who hate you. You are going to have uh, those who abuse you. Jesus' plan was not to remove us from the world, to say, follow me, and you will not experience the curses of this world, but rather it's a new way to handle the difficulties of this world. And I would say that maybe the number one thing that, make, that, is a, uh, uh, that you can tell is different about people People who are in Christ versus people who are not is how we handle offense. How we handle it when people hate us, when people curse us, when people treat us badly. We're not removed from this world. We're offered a new way to live in it, a new way to navigate it. And it's love, and it's doing good, and it's blessing, and it's praying. Let's just remind ourselves what these mean. Love here is agape. And you know, Jesus had, as you know, several options that he could, uh, several Greek words he could use for, for agape. You've probably read the book. You know what they are. There's eros. That's romantic love. Eros is what you feel when um, your spouse walks by and you go, hoo, 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 hoo. right? Um, that's eros love. Uh, there's philo love. That's that philo love is what you feel when you're, uh, when you're playing video games with your best friend and you go, dude, bro, right? That's philo love. Um, storge love is what you feel when you're watching your kids play and go, ah, they might not make it, but I love them. <laughs> right? He had all of those. You have to feel family love for those who are oppose you. You have to uh, feel warm, tingly feelings for people, but that's not it. He said, no, it's this agape love. It's this selfless. It's this, they are more important than I am. They are the ones that I serve. This is what he tells us to do. And I, I, I'm, I'm reminded, or, or I think about, this is the only version of love that is not contingent on the way you feel. You can't make somebody feel romantic love. You can't make somebody feel friendship love. You can't even make somebody feel family love, although it might be a little more natural. But, but, but those are all things that you feel or you don't. I'm in love. I'm not in love. Agape is not like that. Agape is a decision you make no matter how you feel. So as Jesus lays out this path for us, he says, look, there's going to be people that oppose you. You need to make the choice to love them. And then he says, bless. You remember last week, we, we looked at the word blessed or, you know, blessed are those. And in the Beatitudes, blessed meant like this is a congratulations. Oh, how happy are you? Like you're on the right path. But it's a different Greek word. And this Greek word um, is different than that. Uh, this is not just the state of being, rather this, as opposed to woe. This word is specifically about speech. It's how we talk to people. It comes from the same, it's eulogeo. It comes from the same word that we would say eulogy, right? To, to a eulogy is when you have a good word about somebody. 
You speak nice things about them. And this is the word that Jesus says, this is how you should treat those who curse you, which is also about speech. And I think you know when you've been cursed. I think you know when people have said things that you go, whoo, that was painful. I probably don't have to tell you what it means to curse someone with your words or... um, I think it is kind of this, man, if they leave angry, if they leave feeling smaller, if they feel, leave feeling like they lost an argument or a fight, if they, feel, if they leave your presence feeling distance, that was a curse. I also probably don't have to tell you what it means to be a blessing with your words, to, to speak a good word to someone. If you've ever left somebody's presence feeling built up, if you've ever left somebody's presence just feeling closer to them, if you've ever left somebody's presence feeling more important, more, more edified than before the conversation, man, what a blessing. Do you have people like that in your life that you can have a conversation with them and feel stronger, feel built up, feel more important after that conversation? Well, you've been blessed. That's the way, that's this word. So Jesus says, here's the path. Love. What does love look like? Well, it means that with our words, we are blessing, not cursing. I think you'll get less likes on your social media with that. I don't think you're going to sell a book. I I don't think you're going to have the most poignant argument around the water cooler. I think people will just enjoy being in your presence. Mm. Do good. I love these words. These words, do, is the same. It's like the, the, the word is active. It means to make something, and good usually gets translated beautiful. So, so another way we could say this is, is, for those who hate you, make beautiful things in their life. Those who curse you, this is love. Jesus is extrapolating. He is exegeting what he means by love. And he says, with your words, be sure everybody feels built up and and cared for with your words. With what your actions are in their life, be sure that you are making beautiful things happen in their life. And then pray. You know, it's always a little dangerous to make too much of compound words in the scripture, but I think think we're allowed to here. There's two words um, that that get translated pray one means um to the advantage of somebody and the other one means like a wish like that that kind of prayer like like i wish for your advantage i bet you've prayed for your enemies right do you know about imprecatory prayer right god would you beat them with the jawbone of an axe or you know what i mean like we all know how to pray against people even in the name of Jesus, God save me from my enemies. We've got, you've got there's a psalm for that, man. Absolutely, we've talked about it in here before. We'll talk about it again. Uh, God, would you save me that from that person? But but to actively pray for their advantage, to pray that their life goes well, that's almost. That's almost where I close up my Bible and throw it down and be like, no, God, they're dirty, rotten sinners. I don't want their life to go well. I've been not only offended, but I'm the righteous one here, God. I didn't start it. I was nice to them first. It is all their fault. Not only that, there's a whole bunch of them. 
Man, the road's narrow. This is radical. This is something that pastors say and you feel a little twinge as you're sitting in the pew, but then you're one buffet away from feeling a lot better about all this. Just by the time you have that third iced tea at lunch, you'll be like, well, yeah, but there's other scriptures that would tell us. Man, just, just get wrecked. Just have ears to hear. You know, I am tempted to throw my Bible down in disgust when I hear this kind of stuff. I don't want to bless those who curse me. I am a smart mouth and kind of smart. I want to destroy them. I don't want to pray for their advantage. I want to pray against them. I want to laugh over their fall. And then I just remember how Jesus treated me. That this isn't something just Jesus commanded, but this is something he did to me. That while I was yet a sinner, that he gave up his life for me. And it breaks my heart that sometimes the church doesn't look anything like Jesus. You know, look, here's the thing. I am so ready for Jesus to be nice to me when I don't deserve it. (laughs) Because deep in my heart, I know I'm a champ. (laughs) He sees something special in me, I'm sure. (laughs) Man, I'm ready to receive God's grace. And if I'm ready to receive it, I gotta be ready to pass it on. It comes much less natural to me to pray for the well-being of others who treat me badly. I was reminded um, of the rabbi's prayer in Fiddler on the Roof. Do you remember? Where people come and say, is there a proper blessing for the czar? Do you know the story? This is a, a town of, of Russian Jews who are oppressed by, uh, by the czar. And so they say, is there a proper blessing for the czar? And the rabbi says, of course there is. May God bless and keep the czar far away from us. (laughs) Man, if that's as good as you can do, start there. Love, do good, bless, and pray. Maybe the big idea is this. How's this sound to you? Most of the time, we treat people according to their behavior and our feelings. You with me? Most of the time, we evaluate other people's behavior or their ideas or whether they like blue shirts or red shirts or whether they feel this way or that way. We evaluate them like that and then we treat them according to how we feel about that. You see, as we talk about it, how dehumanizing that is. But man, we can't get to know everybody. You got to have categories, right? So normally we treat people, or naturally we treat people according to their behavior and and how we feel. Or, Or maybe even, let's be honest, maybe even we treat people according to their behavior and our sense of justice. I know right and wrong when I see it. And if people are wrong... Am I doing them any good blessing them? Am I doing them any good doing good to them? 
only if you want to be like Jesus. So we tend tend to treat good people well, or at least better than bad people or wrong people. And we feel relieved of our our obligation to love and bless and do good and pray for those who have betrayed us, for those who hate us, for those who are obviously wrong. But Jesus' teaching is this. Instead of their behavior and our sense of justice or their behavior and our emotional state, those who desire to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, look, this is only if you want to be in the kingdom. This is only if you have found in Jesus the, the treasure that you are willing to sell everything to obtain. This is only for those of you who have heard Jesus say, die to yourself and follow me. And you've said, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So for those who desire to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, we treat people according to their need, not their behavior, and God's grace, not our emotions. See, if we look at people not as how have they offended me, how do their actions affect me, but rather we look at people and go, how do their actions reveal their need, reveal how broken they are? And how does God feel about broken, hurting people? Or even arrogant, wrong people? That has very little to do with how we feel. That is agape. It's a decision we make. It has very little to do with our experiences and a whole lot to do with God's endless love towards us. So let's look at how Jesus applied this to the first century. Because this is radical. Like, this is difficult. This is something that, you know, you become a Christian when you're six years old. You die at 106, and you spend 100 years trying to work this out, right? We're all trying to figure out, what does this path look like in my situation, in my, in my, uh, in my life? And so, same thing as the people sitting around. So, Jesus gave a few very practical application examples. The, the one who strikes you, the one who takes your cloak, the one who begs from you, and then the one who borrows and doesn't return, the one who takes away your goods. And it occurs to me that while we might need to do some cultural work to figure out what was going on in these examples, for these people, they are ripped from the headlines. This happens all the time to a first century Jewish person in the Roman Empire just beginning to follow Jesus. So he says, to the one who strikes you, you've heard this taught before, probably it's like giving somebody the back of your hand. It has more to do with insult than it has to do with physical violence or physical pain. But in an honor-based society, this is huge, that I'm a proud man, I'm a businessman, I've, I've been successful, and this Roman soldier can just like, without expecting any repercussions, just come along and go, ah, you dog. Man, what do I do about that? Certainly God doesn't want me to feel offended like this. If somebody takes your cloak, this is almost certainly a reference to the Roman occupation of Palestine where where soldiers felt very comfortable just taking somebody's jacket. And, you know, I, I suppose occasionally it could have had something to do with warmth, with needing a jacket, with needing a cloak. But I would say 99% of the times it's just Romans abusing their power. Just go and watch what I can do. And not only that, but there was a cloak was an important thing on a dude in in the first century Middle East. It spoke to your place in the neighborhood. 
You know, I've made something of myself. We might think of it now as like the car you drive, right? Started with a little dumpy first car. Now I've worked my way up. Check this thing out. It makes no noise, right? When somebody takes that, I am offended. Me as a person, I have been insulted in a way that certainly God wants to defend me. To the one who begs, not only was begging a regular part of the culture, but as the church grew and persecution set in. So you always have to have your eye on Jesus is, is, is telling this story. Jesus is giving these instructions. That's a moment in time. And also Luke is writing this and he's got his eye on his culture as well. And as Luke is writing, persecution has really started to pick up in the, um, in, in the Roman Empire towards Christians and they're losing their jobs. They're turning into beggars. They're, they're losing things and, and coming to church broke and going, hey, can anybody support me? Luke might have his eye on that. And as Jesus looks around, he sees proud, hardworking folks that need all they have. So if somebody takes away your goods, maybe it's theft, maybe it's lending. Either way, it's a real practical problem for these people. You could see this being like a, like a city council meeting or worse yet, like a synagogue business meeting, right? Like, okay, after church, we're going to have a meeting. We're going to work all this out. So they sit around in the synagogue and you can imagine some of the things. The Romans are insulting us. What are we going to do about this? We have to stand up for ourselves. We're the people of God. They can't do this to us. They feel like they own the place. They walk around, they take stuff. And not only that, but some people around here don't know how to borrow a lawnmower and give it back. <laughs> you see how important this stuff would feel. For us, this is the Gospel of Luke. We sit around pretty comfortable. It's a little warm in here. I have a fan. Sorry about that. Um, but, but we sit in here pretty comfortable and go, hmm. This is Jesus outlining some philosophical understanding of the kingdom of God. They're sitting there actually getting their stuff taken away. Actually getting the back of a Roman hand. Romans are insulting them. You see how important this stuff would feel. And now the king is speaking. Jesus, we've come. There's miracles happening and we're following him and we've left everything and he's the king and we're starting to believe that. And so now the king is outlining how do we respond? How do we defend ourselves? And he says, make the decision to love, to serve. Make the decision to with your words, don't curse them back, but bless them. With your actions, make their lives beautiful. And when you bow your head to pray, don't just pray against them, pray for them. You know, another piece of this, I want you to see how impractical, how dead wrong Jesus' advice is just on a behavioral, from a behavioral perspective. It's not like he's saying, and this is how we solve the problem. Jesus says, when someone insults you with a slap, turn the other cheek. That's kind of ridiculous advice because the insult already happened. They don't have to insult you again. It's not like the second slap hurts more or less. It's not like it's less insulting. It's not like it's more insulting. The person trying to insult you has already made their point. 
So Jesus says, when you're insulted, let it go. Don't be insulted. Let go of your pride. You died to yourself. I told you that when I asked you to follow me. And I hope you can see how, that, how effective that could be in the life of a believer, that if you find your pride not in you but in Christ, then there's really no need to be offended. And I don't know what the modern-day example is of a slap in the face, although we still use that. I imagine there's things that happen to you and you go, that was a slap in the face. So you're on the right track for thinking about that. But Jesus' instruction was, let it go. He says, if they take your cloak, give them your tunic as well. This is hilarious, by the way, right? I've told you this before. You're only wearing a cloak and a tunic. So it's like Jesus saying, if they take the shirt off your back, give them your pants. Again, it's not practical advice. Nobody wants you walking around the town square naked. The guy took your cloak to insult you, to prove his power over you. He doesn't want your tunic. It's not like the person who took this is going to go, wow, a tunic. Rather, Jesus is saying you don't need that cloak in order to be okay. Whether this is about warmth or whether it's about provision or whether it's about your honor, you don't need it. That's <laughs> hard. I earned it. I feel like I do need it. If somebody begs or if somebody takes your stuff, borrows and doesn't give it back, don't worry. Elsewhere in, in Matthew's telling of, of this kind of teaching of Christ, he reminds us that God takes care of lilies and birds. He'll take care of you too. So what do you do? When somebody borrows and doesn't give it back, what do you do when you're offended? What do you do when there's pain or abuse? Well, you love. You bless. You do good. And you pray. And look, the kingdom of God was born persecuted, right? There were very little times. You, you'll, you'll read some early church history and go, it was better under this Roman uh, Caesar, and it was a little worse under this Caesar. But look, I mean, for hundreds of years, we were, we were on the backside of the empire. The early church didn't have any power. We get bent out of shape about our rights. They have any rights. Saying I demand my rights would have been the stupidest thing an early Christian could have said. You don't have any rights to begin with. You demand to work for the glory of caesar great that's all the rights you have they got thrown into prisons they didn't get their way they lost their jobs for the sake of the gospel they were scattered around the roman empire so how did the kingdom grow how did it not get crushed how did it not get squelched how are we here now did the kingdom grow by slick arguments and grasping political power it didn't did it grow by being unified in some cultural ideologies? No, we talked about that last week. There were differences of opinion on how culture should go in the 12. No, but rather, it grew by love, by blessing, by doing good, by prayer. And I'll tell you the other thing, it, it grew by suffering. It grew by martyrs. 
It grew by being persecuted. It grew by people who experienced pain and suffering because of their faith and instead of fighting back going, I can't believe I get to suffer for Christ. What a joy. What an honor. Don't even crucify me on a cross that looks like his. Put me on a big X and I'll die that way because I'm not worthy of suffering for him. Saints for all time, my favorite are the Anabaptists that their tongues got cut out because uh, they kept singing hymns on the way to the, uh, the stake to get burned at the stake and they had to shut them up because they wouldn't stop singing hymns. The kingdom of God has just never advanced because we win. The kingdom of God advances because we understand the now but not yet nature of the kingdom of God. That we're not living, so we have everything we want now. We're living, so we are fit for the glory ahead. And I think, in some ways, this is Jesus' point, that if you want to follow him, you need to respond to the world in almost the exact opposite way that you naturally would. And definitely in the exact opposite way Twitter wants you to. And the exact opposite way that your favorite news app wants you to. That's dying to yourself. So count the cost. You remember last week, us talking about the Beatitudes and how Jesus is really outlining two different like kinds of people, two different philosophies. One person who has found their hope in things of this world working out, whether it's I want a bunch of money and power or whether it's I just want everybody to get along or, or I want the perfect system or whatever, but that their hope is in making the kingdom of God fully realized right here and right now. And then there's this other kind of philosophy that is I'm going to die to myself, follow Jesus, and trust him for the future. And, and the big idea of the Beatitudes was if you find yourself in a place where you've got nothing but Jesus to hang on to, then you're in a good spot. Congratulations. Blessed. So, count the cost. We might not get offended enough by this. There's nothing warm and fuzzy as these people. I would love to see the, the reaction on the crowd as Jesus you know, says this the first time. Rather than warm and fuzzy, this is for those who are so disenfranchised by the idea that this world and its systems and its hierarchies have anything to offer that we turn to Jesus and say, I will die to all this stuff and live for you. Like, are you frustrated with how broken the world is? Are you starting to catch on that we're not like one more perfect law or one more perfect, like, I don't even know what it might be, but we're not just one more cultural movement away from peace and harmony on the earth? Are you starting to give up on the idea that the systems of this world are the source of love, peace, and joy? Are you ready to say, I'm going to die to all that. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to respond differently. I'm going to love people that hate me. I'm going to love people that persecute me. I'm going to love people that are wrong. I'm going to do it so much that they are built up when they leave my presence. Not just like be smiley to them and then talk bad about them behind their back, but rather I'm going to actually live that their life is good and trust that I am on this narrow path 
that sometimes feels like losing, that sometimes you get on your knees and go, God, if there is any way for this cup to pass from me. It's pretty easy to apply. Instead of demonizing others, bless them. You've been given categories of people to not like, right? That side, this side, people who think that, people who think this, people who trust that, people who trust this. You know the people you're supposed to not like. You know, I've, we all know we shouldn't use racial slurs, right? Or have we grown to that? It's good. And yet I hear people using words to describe other groups of people in our culture that are every bit that kind of dehumanizing, pejorative. Count the cost. Bless those that you naturally have been taught to not like. Instead of fighting for your rights, gladly give them up. Man, I was born in America too. I know how important our rights are. I am all for it. I have a job where I get a really wonderful life and get to stand up here and talk to like 85 of you every Sunday. It's amazing. And I get to do that because of our religious freedoms. I'm all in. And yet I read the New Testament and all I hear is, look, die to yourself. Lay it down. Instead of demanding your way, take the loss in order to glorify God and build others up. You know, I could preach a sermon that would let us off of these hooks. I could preach a sermon while I go, well, yeah, that's got to be our attitude, but look, when certain things happen, I'd rather not do that. Let's just be a little bit uncomfortable today. Let's just not say, how do I not have to do this? But rather, Lord, am I really living like this? Instead of demanding your way, take the loss in order to glorify God, in order to build others up. You might say, that is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, totally. It is absolutely ridiculous. I know a lot of people who claim the name of Christ that think it's ridiculous. But here's the deal. The cross is ridiculous to the world. It's the fragrance of death to those who are perishing. But to me, it's the fragrance of life. Life itself is found in dying to myself. So lastly and briefly, let's, let's look at the consequences of Jesus' words. There in verse 35 and 36, he says, look, this is going to be the reward. And I, I bet, I, I think it probably only, you know, took, how long does it take to, to read this? Becky read it to us in four or five minutes, but man, this is a roller coaster. To dive down to love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. To, to, to have all of that and then to shoot up in the rapture of this, these last couple of verses. He says, live like this and your reward will be great. Does that feel risky? It's okay, I told you. you, you you're, allowed to, you're allowed to tell the truth today, yeah? Does that feel risky? You go, I, I don't know this until Jesus comes back or I die. It's not entirely true. There's a spiritual reality growing on us of hope and peace and joy that 
I think those of us that are walking with Jesus would say is very real. And yet, if all you're doing is counting, you know, if there's a scoreboard in this world, it's true. Jesus is saying, live like this, and your reward will be great. This is what you're betting your life on. This is what we're all betting our life on. But here's what I do know. I know that if you decide to live for yourself and not for him, if you decide to fight every battle and respond with every offense with violence and respond with every curse with a curse and respond with everybody who says anything hateful with not doing good but doing bad in their life or just you know heading for the hills and saying people are mean, I'm just going to retreat. Like if, if that's the path, if you want to live for this world, well, I know what that looks like and so do you. It's some ups and some downs. You get about 100 years. There's illness, there's atrophy, and then there's a grave. That's all there is. You don't have to follow Jesus. I can't imagine not. I can't imagine being offered this path where I don't have to live one argument at a time, where I don't have to live one cursing back and forth at a time, where I don't have to be offended by every offensive thing, but rather I can live with a deep abiding sense of love and peace and joy despite what's going on in this world and anticipate reward instead of a tomb. I can't imagine not, I can't imagine saying no to that. Your reward will be great. The other I don't benefit the other eternal consequence that Luke tells us is Jesus said, you will be sons of the Most High. Man, when you respond to anger and hate with love and blessing and doing good and prayer, you demonstrate your family relationship with God because that is what God is like. Did you read? It says, he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. How could we put his name on ours and then not be like him? So you will prove yourselves, the sons and daughters of God. Not prove it, not earn it, but demonstrate your family relationship with God as you respond to the vitriol of the world with grace and peace and service. God is kind to evil people. God is kind to evil people. Don't argue with it. Just be thankful for it. It's why we're saved. <laughs> Some have looked at this and, and thought, man, I don't, I, don't, I don't like the way this looks. This is just reciprocity. We do stuff, and so God gives us payment. That's not grace. You don't have to live this stuff out. Come on. God's grace is for us no matter how we live. Uh, it's not a terrible point, but it's wrong. We, this is not reciprocity. This is not Jesus telling us we earn anything. Rather, this is Jesus saying, look, you can't say God is your heavenly Father and then live nothing like him. And our reward isn't earned. It's just what dads do for their kids. It's just because we're his. 
So count the cost. Pretend you haven't said yes to Jesus before. If this was the offer, that you don't get to go out and fight back. Rather, you get to go out and respond to the world with this kind of selfless love. You're going to take some losses. And people are going to walk away going, I really told that guy. And you're just going to have to let it go. People are going to say offensive things. But man, your reward will be great. Pretend you've never said yes to that before. Would you right now? Choosing to love, to bless, to do good will, will come with a cost. It'll feel like losing sometimes. You know, truthfully, we don't get our way very often. <laughs> There's not much earthly power available for this kind of life. Just servanthood. Even being the servant of all. But when you're counting the cost, remember the reward. Remember the now and the difficulties there, but remember the not yet. Remember that Jesus is offering not just, not just heaven, but a brand new way of living that leads not to a grave, but eternal life. So there's an offer on the table right now. Would you say yes to that? Would you say yes to this new kind of living that Jesus is offering in, in the Sermon on the Plain? As Luke outlines what it means to follow him does this sound like the deal you want because god's not going to make you we said this last week god is fully willing to look at you and say your, your will be done but will you give yourself to him will you die to yourself will you live fully for him in joyous expectation of the reward he has for you 